Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're going to spend the hour today with Salt Lake City Police Chief Chris Burbank. We'll talk about events in Ferguson, Missouri. We'll talk about issues of race, police militarization, immigration, recent shootings in Utah, police body cameras, and community policing, among other related issues. You have the opportunity to weigh in on any or all of these issues at upraxis at gmail.com. That's our email, upraxis at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page, and you can call 1-800-826-1495. Very timely issues. And uh, Chief Burbank, thank you very much for taking time to be with us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Let me, uh, before we we dive into these things, uh, we've had you on a couple times, and I, I haven't, I, I don't think I knew your background, as I've been reading a little <laughs> bit. Uh, you have an unusual background for a, for a, a policeman. Usually these are generations of policemen. Your parents are ballet dancers, I believe. Well, they certainly were in their younger days. I more or less put an end to my uh, mother's career, but my father continued to dance and teach for a little while after I was born. But yes, and my grandparents are in the theater, and it was something that I uh, really had no intention of being a police officer. As you mentioned, uh, no one in my family. And so it's a career. I spent some time playing some squash and uh, ended up uh, needing a real job at some point in my life. And I had uh, some friends that were members of the motorcycle unit here in Salt Lake City, and they said, hey, go take this test. And the next thing you know, they were offering me a job, and it's been some great opportunity and just been a very rewarding career for me. So I think you were a professional squash player for a while. I I was, and uh, that was one of those. And I certainly give a lot of credit to my family and how they brought me up as far as decisions that I make now and also my squash career. I learned to play squash from a Pakistani family, a world-famous Pakistani family called the Khan family. And uh, father was world champion, one of the sons was world champion, and there were seven brothers that lived in different parts of the world. And so I got to experience a different culture, different religion, and meet a lot of different people as I traveled around. And so it really helped shape who I am and what some of my ideas are and my values. So you you needed a a job paid better than than squash. Why policing? Well, again, it was one of those I was in very good condition, I, you know, from uh, playing a lot of squash, and I, it was intriguing. There was a pretty decent uh, retirement, and it was something that I don't know that I ever even intended to make a career out of it at that point. It was just something that, yeah, it, it paid all right. There was good job security, and it was certainly interesting as, the, you know, people talked, and I looked into it, and so that's uh, what got me involved in it. Uh, so you've you spent some time in a SWAT unit. Uh, what what else? So I, I did spend some time on the SWAT unit. I was a member of our gang unit for a number of years. I was uh, in our training unit, teaching primar- primarily uh, firearms and tactics. I also taught um, uh, just new recruits as well as in service. I was the bicycle sergeant. Two years were spent in my career working on the Olympics. I was the venue commander for the downtown Olympic Square and was the liaison between the police department and the Secret Service. So it was that was a tremendous experience. In fact, I had over a thousand National Guard troops and law enforcement officers from across the country who worked for me during the Olympics. And so, in essence, the largest police force ever created in Salt Lake City was that in the downtown Olympic Square for those 14 days. And so that. Uh, set me on the road to opportunities in leadership and uh, administration of the police department. 
I think maybe a good way to get into some of these issues, uh, uh, police-involved shootings and, and the like, which, uh, you know, it's touched a nerve. By the way, uh, for one example, 100 people or more, including uh, former Salt Lake City Mayor Rocky Anderson, rallied in a protest, uh, protesting a string of officer-involved shootings in Utah. They're calling themselves Utah Against Police Brutality. and staged a protest on Saturday in Salt Lake City. This has been much in the news. Ferguson and... Uh, and a shooting in Saratoga Springs and, and other things. But a way to get into this, maybe get your thinking on uh, police interaction, is uh, I think 2011, the Occupy, Occupy Utah protests in, in Salt Lake City. There's a homeless man who dies. It's determined that um, you, you need to get the people out of there. Um, you went down and talked to them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that uh, my career has taught me and certainly my experience during the Olympics is when our first response is uh, riot gear, helmets, and shields, it says throw rocks and bottles at us. And it's not productive in the uh, certainly in the outcome, but, I mean, it really creates tension. And one, the thing that I value most about working here in Salt Lake and in Utah is the fact that anytime you have situations like that, it's it's a two-way street. I mean, if the police overreact, then that causes, you know, poor situation. If the citizens, right, if those people who are protesting or getting their message out, if they overreact, then you have a problem. But when the two people can come together and have a discussion, and that is what I've always tried to do, and again, it's something that I learned uh, during the Olympics, even a little beforehand when I was working as a bicycle sergeant downtown, that if you take the time to get to know people, you have a conversation with them, and you sit down. And so Occupy did not occur, you know, our interaction was not strictly that night. We had developed a relationship over the entire time. In fact, I helped move them around the city a little bit and give them other locations. And it was a matter of we had dialogue. We had a relationship. And when people know who you are and when they've had a conversation with you, and in some cases sat down and had a cup of coffee with you, again, it's very hard to turn to violence. You look for other alternatives. And that's what policing is about. That's why local law enforcement, you know, cities, that's, it's so important that we develop relationships with the people that we serve. And that makes us better. And that's community policing at its best, is a relationship. When the public trusts us enough to say, hey, we have an issue or a problem, before it's been a big major issue or problem, right? Let's work on this together. Let's see what we can do to resolve this and to prevent crime from occurring. That's when we're most effective, not when we respond after the fact. So that that's one thing, of course, and they're related principles. I'm sure that 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 you teach your officers and and are uh, you're making yourself available to the media because you want to get the word out. But there there is one thing to develop a relationship with Occupy. You go and talk to them. I think you even told them you can uh, you know let's talk about how you'd like to get arrested because for their cause they you know they want to get on camera maybe. Uh, but another thing, perhaps, when you go in to serve a warrant or when you have a tense situation on, on the street. Well, again, it, a lot of it falls to public trust. But the, the unfortunate thing about policing, and I'll be honest, it represents a failure in our society whenever a police officer has to use force or he has force used against him. Right? That is a failure of our system, our, the entire society in which we live, in which a police officer has to do it. It's unfortunate. It's never our intent. But we, if we have an expectation of our police officers that they prevent crime from occurring, that they respond to in-progress situations, we are putting them in a situation where they may have to use some level of force. That is just simple fact. 
Otherwise, the alternative is call us after the fact. I can do away with a lot of police officers, and we'll just answer the phone and give you a case number. Well, that's not what our expectation is in the public. We should hold our officers to an extremely high standard. I mean, that is something that I have you know, worked on not only locally but nationally and throughout the world is to make policing more professional and hold officers to a high standard. But it cannot be an impossible standard. We still have to recognize that we are dealing with human beings on both sides of the equation. And unfortunately, there are moments drug and alcohol, uh, addiction and abuse plays into this, mental illness. There are so many things that drive interactions, as well as, unfortunately, at times, improper decisions by the police, improper actions by the public, and that creates negative outcomes or consequences. Hmm. Maybe we could dive into it, Ferguson. I'm sure you've thought a lot about it. You talked a lot about it. Um, um, first of all, the the incident I- itself. What what sorts of things, measures could be put in place to to prevent uh, what happened with the, with the shooting of this young man? Well, uh, constantly we need to evaluate our practice, our training, uh, everything that goes into making a police officer. And I, I'm often uh, I'm fascinated by the question when people call and say, "Well." You know, how much training does an officer get in use of force? Everything that we do goes to use of force, whether it's CIT, so mental health crisis training, uh, just dialogue, talking with people. The number one thing that I look at when I interview recruits is not their ability to handle situations. It is their ability to articulate and to empathize. That's the most important tool that a police officer has. And, in fact, that ability may de-escalate a situation. And so what we are constantly doing is teaching officers to de-escalate situations, to interact with people, to empathize with the situation, to understand what they're facing. And the most important thing that an officer has is what is in front of them at that moment. And what is our purpose? Our purpose is always to protect. And this is an interesting distinction that is drawn that I think is worth looking at, right? We are not in a defensive posture. We are in a protective posture. And this is different from a military response. And this goes to how I think we should be policing in this nation, right? A defensive posture, when you say we're defending the nation, we're defending the public against crime, we're defending the city, whatever that, that takes on the notion that there's an acceptable amount of loss, that uh, you prevent at all costs, Well, no, the purpose of policing is to protect, and that protection falls to those people who are actually violating the law and, in some cases, committing the most horrible acts that we have in society today. We need to protect their civil rights. We need to protect them. It's not always a defensive posture. And so that umbrella of protection is really what we need to operate on, and it's a distinct difference. And so if we arrive at a situation and the situation spins out of control because of our response, well, we need to evaluate, do we need to respond differently? Because that's not our intent. We should always try and de-escalate. Now, as I said, it's not always the responsibility of the police. It's a two-way street and the public has some responsibility in it. So when we look at these shootings, when we look at these incidents, we always have to evaluate what are the officer's actions, and the officer's actions are directly in response to whatever the other involved person is, whether it's a group, an individual, right? How, what was their response, right, to the lawful directions, to the lawful presence of the police officer? What caused that situation to deteriorate to the point that force was used? 
And again, it is a very fine line, but it needs to be looked at individually. One of the most difficult things is we jump into, well, all the shootings are bad or all of the, you know, well, no, that's not the case. We need to look individually at each and every one. And then we always look more holistically. Every single time we, we use force, every incident that we have in the police department, we debrief. Right? It may not be on a full department debrief, but it is on a, you know, a squad debrief. It may be on a division of the police department where we look and we evaluate what took place there. How can we do a better job? Right? What could we do differently? Do we need to change policy and practice in order to be more widespread in that? Or is it the individual's reaction? And hold people accountable for their actions. I mean, that's one of the things that you ask any of my employees. The police chief in this organization holds people accountable for what their actions are. And unfortunately, if people interject bias, if people are brutal and use force inappropriately, well, then they don't work here anymore. That is a simple fact of the matter. We're talking with uh, Salt Lake City Police Chief Chris Burbank, and we're responding, obviously, to uh, recent uh, incidents uh, in Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, the uh, the incident police-involved shooting of uh, Darian Hunt in uh, Saratoga Springs. Um, there are protests against um, what people see as a problem. A group calling itself Utah Against Police Brutality staged a protest Saturday in Salt Lake City for one example. And uh, we're talking with Chief Burbank on these issues, community policing. We'll get into talking about issues of race, immigration as well. Anything you would like to ask the chief as well, you have that opportunity at 1-800-826-1495. 1-800-826-1495. We're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio, and you can reach us at upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. We'll take a brief break. When we come back, we have a long email from Jennifer. And uh, Jennifer raises some very good points, phrases them very well as as well. Usually we encourage shorter emails, but we'll uh, get to as much of this as we can. Your email, your uh, call as well, an opportunity as well. We're talking with uh, Chief Chris Burbank, Salt Lake City Police. More following the break.